One thing I've discovered just over time in both my own life and in talking and meeting with other people is communication is always, it can always be an issue. Understanding what the other person's saying, how they're saying it, the word choice they use. Communication can be stressful. Trying to clearly communicate things is hard. In context, the time, what somebody's feeling emotionally at that time, um, perhaps it's just think of a time where maybe between you and a parent and a child or a spouse or a friend, and there's been a miscommunication. And you're, you have a relationship. It's not like a brand new thing. It's not like they said something that was like highly offensive even. It's just connecting and communicating can be really difficult. Because both parties believe that they've clearly communicated expectations, desires, hopes, dreams, whatever. They believe that they've clearly said something. But one or both parties misunderstand and it creates strife and stress or even causes a separation. Sometimes those things can damage the relationship. And the reality is, as we talk about our vision for the future as a church and as a faith community, understanding what is being said and why creates a sense of knowing and connecting at a deeper level. And so, as we've gone over this series, we're in week number three, essentially, of our series on re-understanding our church mission statement, creating a safe place where people can discover who God is in an environment of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. We have to understand what those words mean if we're going to live that out. So we've already done the first half, but today we're, we're talking about environment of love. And then the next two weeks, I'm talking about acceptance and forgiveness and what that means. So an environment, so that we're all on the same page at the starting point, the environment is the surroundings in which a person, animal, or plant lives, wait, here's the key thing, and thrives. Because if you get the wrong environment, literally it will kill it. You can have the most beautiful tree planted in the middle of the Mojave Desert, and it's not going to live. You can take other plants, other animals, put them in our beautiful Pacific Northwest. They may survive, but they may not thrive. The same is true of people. If we want people to thrive in their life, if we want people to understand that there is more to life than just the day-to-day existence, that there's purpose, there's belonging, there's something they've been created for and called to, then we have to create an environment that allows people to thrive in it. And I don't want people simply to exist. People can exist every day where they are. It's the old, I can do anything for a season. I've had some jobs I hated, and I was like, I can do this until either the next job comes along or until something else changes. I can do this. When my son was struggling when he first went to college, I was like, remember, it is two years of your life. And it was really before he went, it was the psychological thing that he built up in his head. Once he got there, he did fine. But it was this, what if I don't make friends? What if people don't like me? I was like, why would they not like you? Everywhere you've ever gone, you've had friends. And we've moved around. It's not like you were born, raised, lived your entire life in one place. But that still entered his mind. But once he's in the right environment, and once that environment becomes conducive to who he is, he begins to thrive. And the same is true of our faith community. Sometimes I think the reason we see people 
struggling in their faith overall is because they haven't found a community that supports them, believes in them, and encourages them. Are we perfect at that? No. Are we all things to all people as a church? No, I've told you before. The body of Christ can be. We as an individual church can't be. We have limitations. Space, time, where we're located. I had a conversation last night with a guy who hasn't been in church in a while. And what he said was he just can't find a place where he personally feels like he connects and thrives. And that's me paraphrasing. But what he's saying is he could go to a church, but he doesn't connect with it. And I tell people all the time, it's not fair to try any church once. Like when people are moving and they're going to look for a new church, I'm like, here's a couple if I know of any in the area. But understand, I tell people, if you really want to know, you've got to go three, four, five times. See what they're really like. See what they're like on their best day and see what they're like every other normal day okay? It's like when somebody just goes to church on Easter and they see like the absolute, like every, all the stops are pulled out, everything's great. I always say, whoever we are, we have to be the same 52 weeks of the year. It can't be just a, wow, look at that, and then just go back. So what I say is, we're awesome all the time, but we're going to be us all the time. So looking for that place where a person, an individual, thrives, not just exists. And that's what we're trying to create here, is a place where people who are seeking to discover God can thrive in an environment of love. So, what does that look like? Matthew 27, 34 through 39. This is Jesus speaking. I'll give you a second to look there. Love is mentioned over 300 times in scriptures, over 40 times in the gospel alone. And Jesus uses this to help teach, and yet I think this is really something we struggle to believe and to live out. So Matthew 27, starting in verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. A while back I did a series on the Ten Commandments. I went through all of them. Remember, if you were here for that, I talked about how the first four are about you and I and how we love and honor God. The next six are about how you and I live in community with one another. So in other words, Jesus is saying the same thing, but he's saying what the Ten Commandments says, and he's summing it up this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. With everything you have, that's how you love God. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. A while back when I was in the middle of going through counseling for depression, and I'd, I'd had a, this crisis in my life, and we were dealing with things, and the guy said, my counselor, not the guy, my counselor said, one of your problems, Jeff, is you're really great at loving your neighbor and you're terrible at loving yourself. And he said, here's why that's a problem. If you don't love yourself, you can only love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. Now, the opposite side of that is the, nep- uh, the, the maniacal person who only loves themselves. The egomaniac who can't love anybody other than themselves. But it does no good if I have love for everybody else, but I hate myself because you were created in the image of God. So I can't just think about self all the time, and yet 
If I don't love myself, then how am I going to love my neighbor in the way God wants me to? And so if I'm in the process of creating an environment of love, that's going to take something on my part. That requires something of me. That means I have to love people not because of what they can give to me, not because of what I get out of the relationship, not because it makes me happy at the end of the day. I have to love people simply because they exist. And the difficulty in that for us, for most of us anyway, is that a lot of people, if you get to know them, are really annoying. As my daughter is fond of saying, people are the worst. What they were expecting to hear when this um, when they talked to Jesus was this, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It's called the Great Shema. It's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Okay, remember, that's what Jesus told them. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by your way and when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Our pastor in San Diego was Jewish. He was born Jewish, raised Jewish, converted to Christianity when he was in college. And you'd walk up to his house and he has this thing nailed to the side of his house. And in that tiny little decorative piece is a scroll, and it's these verses. Because he literally takes, you shall post them on the doorpost of your house. He talked about when he was being raised, and they'd go to prayer class, and they'd wear this, this piece on their forehead. And inside this little thing, this headband with a little trunk on it that was decorative, was this verse. Because you're going to put it on your forehead. And he said they would do that. And he said every, every so often, just for whatever reason, he believes we're completely free from the law, but he said he'll just, he'll be praying and something inside him will compel him to get that out and put it there. Just to remember, I'm not going to forget who God is. He's going to be above all else. However, we also never sacrifice the second half of that. Because see, that's where Jesus breaks script. And I've talked about that before. At the Last Supper, when he starts to talk to them, they're used to what's going to be said. It was, it's literally scripted. You can buy the script and go through the entire Passover meal. The same questions are asked by the same people. And yet, it's when Jesus breaks script, that's when we begin to see life-changing words spoken. Because he looks and he says, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. If we're going to be a church that impacts our community, if we're going to be a church that challenges and changes who we are in the status quo, we can't get caught up in the politics of today. We can't get caught up in our pet project theology. We have to be a people, we must be a people, that are constantly about loving those who aren't here. Not just those who aren't here. Hopefully you're loving the people that are here. But we have to be about loving the people that aren't here. We have to exist... Not to be the biggest, we have to exist to love the most. We have to exist to show a lost and dying world who God is. So, we've read the text, and here's where we get a couple of uh, things that just stand out in my mind. First off, it doesn't tell us how to do this. It just says to do it. I hate it when Jesus tells us to do something, but I don't quite know how. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if it was just like, if you'll just do these three things? We say we hate that, and yet in reality, 
All of us just want a few rules. If, especially, we want rules, just not a lot of them. And then that way, if I do these three things, everybody who doesn't is bad, and I'm good, and that's how I want to live my life. But the truth is, Jesus came to set us free from those rules, and he just says, go do it. It's the old, I, I've talked about this before, the what would Jesus do bracelets are great, but tell me this, how would Jesus do it? How would Jesus do this in our world today? where everything is divisive, and you're either on my side or I hate you and you're against me. If you don't agree with everything I say and every way I do it, then you're a bigot, you're a homophobe, you're a this, you're a that, and you're outside my camp. But if you agree exactly what I say, then you're a good and acceptable person. And that's not the reality of a world that's functional with verses like this. Because I've got to love people that don't look like me and don't act like me and don't sound like me. And I've got to do it Not because I want to, but because I've been compelled to. And so I've got to stop building walls and saying, you've got to be exactly like this, and I have to start opening gates and saying, and that is not a political statement, you don't need to email me. But I've got to open gates to say, everybody come in, and let's learn and worship and love together. Because that's who we're created to be. And so he doesn't tell us how to do it, because it's going to look different in your context, than it does in mine. It's going to look different 2,000 years ago when Jesus did it than it does today. And it's going to look different at your job than it might at somebody else's job. And yet we're all called to love people. We're all called to love and connect in a deep and meaningful way. It also doesn't promise any reward. I like to get a reward. I like a prize. I've heard people say, well, I don't reward my children for good behavior, or I don't reward my children for doing jobs. I'm like, How many of you would go to work every day without a paycheck? I know there's a few of you in here that would. But how many of you would go week by week, day by day, if there was no paycheck involved? You'd still go, well, I love my job. I would. And so that's probably of some of you. But most of us would go, no, if they stopped paying me, I'd find a different job. Even if you like your job, most of you, if they stopped paying you for it, would do something different. If you didn't, you'd go into the boss tomorrow and go, you don't have to pay me anymore. I'll be here anyway. So the truth is, we like rewards. Some of you are like, no, no, I just do things out of goodness and kindness in my heart. Thank you for doing that. That's why we volunteer at church. But there's no reward promised. I want something. If I'm going to love people that are difficult to love, I want to get something out of it. I really do. But there's no reward promised. In fact, what it does promise is just the opposite. John 15, 18, and 19 says this. If the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you're going to live different than everybody else, and you're going to love people, you know what they're going to do in return? They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you, and they're going to call you names, and yet we're called still to love them. I don't like that part. I don't like the parts... Let's say somebody's going to hate me. I want to be liked. I don't like the parts where people don't just like, well, at least you tried, Jeff. Those are the parts I like. Those are the people I like. There's people in here who go, well, we're not sure if you quite know how to pastor, but at least you're trying. We like you. And I'm like, thanks. (laughs) But it's true. It doesn't promise any reward. It just says, go do this. So why is it so difficult to love people? 
Because it challenges our ideas, our us versus them mentality. It's supposed to be, if I love God, then I'm rewarded and everybody else isn't. That was the theology that the church had for years. How many of you have changed some belief, some core thing that, like, you knew this to be true? Maybe it's political, maybe it's social, maybe it's theological, maybe it's even just how you were going to raise kids. How many of you changed your mind on what it was going to look like from, like, 25 years ago? Because, like, people were great at telling us how to raise our daughter. And then we had our daughter... And then we even knew how we were going to raise her, and then we get a strong-willed kid. And when we're talking strong-willed people, physically, there were days I had to move her. And I'd always be like, I don't understand why we're doing this. You weigh 30 pounds. I can do this all day. Why won't you put on pants? I'll hold you up. Your mom will slide them on. You're still going to be in pants. Now you're in pants. Now you're taking your pants off. Okay, great. That was our daughter. We knew how we were going to raise our kids until we had them. We knew how we were going to do certain things until it was challenged by the way it worked. And then suddenly you realize you're dealing with individual people, even small individuals, but you're dealing with individual people. And individual people have individual needs, ideas, concepts. And then when you start dealing with adults, they have this sense of freedom and independence, and yet you're still trying to deal with them every day. That's one reason it's difficult. I want everybody who comes into the church to be exactly like me and agree with me. And that's not the reality. The truth is, that's not what I want. I want a church that says, we're going to impact our community. And I've got different ideas about how to do that, but we can do this together. Another reason it's difficult is, as I mentioned earlier, people are difficult. People require grace. I've had people get angry at me and leave the church over things that I'm like, really? Because I wouldn't say happy birthday from the front. I'm like, you realize every week so, it's somebody's birthday. Happy birthday, James. Toady. I, that wasn't planned. It just literally is his birthday. I don't want to get in trouble from James later. But things like that. People have expectations of me. Sometimes they're realistic and I fail them. Sometimes they're unrealistic and I fail them. People don't even always express what they want or how they want it. You just know that they're mad because it wasn't what they wanted. But they never even told me, hey, could we do this? Hey, could we try this? Hey, this is really important to me. People are difficult because lives are messy and broken. And we deal with messy, broken people and broken people and hurt people and people in pain, their response is to cause pain to others. Not because they're mean, but because they're broken. And we're all broken in different ways, and some of us have learned to control those things or whatever, but if we're going to be a church that invites people in, there's going to be people that, man, they're just mean. We've got to help them and deal with them and work with them. I'm not going to let somebody intentionally hurt you. I've told you before, if you're in an abusive relationship, talk to me. I'll help you find a way out of that relationship. I don't like doing it. It's messy and it's ugly, but I will help you. And I have done it and we've been able to move forward from it. But at the same time, just know that people around you are broken. And because they're broken, their mess paints us. 
I remember we had this uh, big mud pit at one of the camps I went to. And the kids would play in this mud pit like on the last day. It was in Colorado and they'd run and they'd slide in the mud and they'd do all these things. And they'd come back and I stood outside with a hose outside our cabin. And I just sprayed kids down with this hose. It's like nobody's coming in here until I spray you down. So I spray them all down. And that day, I walk back in the cabin. After spraying everybody down, make them take off their shoes and socks, walk in, and everything is still muddy and wet. And I was like, oh, this is the worst. Even once we clean up, you guys, we're still muddy. We've still been through a battle. We're still messy. But God looks and says, but you're perfect to me. And I love you exactly as you are. third reason it's difficult is those of us who believe in God we find that part fairly easy I've always said you can kind of break down the world into two two camps in this way there's those who believe God exists and those who don't the problem is even if you believe in God faith is not easy and we want to make it this easy thing we want to make it again the three simple steps if you believe in God then it's three simple steps there was a book I read once that said Christianity made simple. Believe. I'm like, it's the dumbest title ever. Sorry if you're the author of that book. I don't know who the author is. It's a terrible because it's not simply believing. Because just because I believe doesn't make everybody around me believe. Doesn't make everybody around me okay. Doesn't make everything perfect. We have people in our church that die. We have people in our church that get sick. We have people in our church that get divorced. We have people in our church that lose their jobs. We have people in our church whose homes get broken into. We have people in our church, bad things happen. How is it ever made simple? It's not simple. We live in a broken world. And yet, in spite of that, Jesus knew the world we lived in, and he still looks and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's where I don't like it. That's where it rubs me the wrong way. I'll love my neighbor as long as my neighbor is good to me. As long as his dog doesn't poop on my lawn, as long as he mows regularly, as long as he'll stop stacking up cars and bringing home new ones when he's already got nine, nine cars and he brought home a new one on a tow truck this week. It ain't right, you guys. And yet I'm going to love him. Some of you know where I live and have driven by it and have gone, wow, you're not, it's not an exaggeration. There's really nine. And he brought one home on a tow truck, flatbed, which means it's not running. And that's my neighbor, and i got to love him. I want it to be easy, but it's not. So if you're looking for the easy Christianity, I'll never tell you it's easy. I'll never pretend it's easy. I'll tell you it's the hardest decision you're ever going to make, but I'll also tell you this much. It's worth it. Too many people are looking for the easy way, not the, hey, how do I become more like God way? People have told me, sometimes I doubt God's existence. That's normal. I'm asking you to believe in something that is utterly unbelievable, and throughout the ages, the percentage that actually believes is in the minority. And we've lived in America for so long, and the post-World War II until the 1970s or 80s, Christianity boomed, and now it's back on the recline. And I heard somebody say, it really concerns me that only 10%, they're saying in 25 years, only 10% will be acting Christians. And I told them, yeah, do you realize that? And in the 1830s, prior to the Civil War, if you actually look at the number of people who actually went to a church, it's actually smaller than that. 
So we're really just going back to where we were. And we say, we're founded on godly principles. Godly principles, but not a relationship with God. There's a difference. And I'm not critical, I'm not criticizing of those who establish. What I'm saying is, it's not what some people think. Some people think the first Congress all got together and went to church on Sundays. They didn't. More than half of the ones that did were Unitarian. George Washington, for example, was Unitarian. Then people were like, what? No! Yes! And that's okay, because they were doing what they believed was right. However, I look back and I go, we made some huge mistakes as a country. And it's a lot easier to look back and see them than it is when you're living in the moment. This is like I think we're going to look back at this period in time in 10 years and go, wow, we made some mistakes, didn't we? Just as if I look back at any period of history, I can say, wow, we made some mistakes. And that's not to be critical. That's because we learn and we grow and we develop and we become more enlightened. But the question is, am I going to look back and realize my faith has grown and I'm more like Jesus today than I was 10 years ago or even that I was last week or even that I was yesterday? So in order to choose an environment of love, we must sacrifice our wants or personal preferences for the greater good of the community. It doesn't mean I compromise my faith or that I don't stand up for principles. It means a lot of times we hide behind principles when it's really personal opinion. It's what I like. This is the way I like it. When we give up our rights, because we, in reality, in Christ, we have no rights for the sake of others. That sounds really easy until it's something you believe that is yours and your right is taken away. When you believe that your rights have been compromised, then it becomes really difficult. We have to serve others with no promise of gain, position, power, influence. We have to serve other people that can do nothing for us in return. And love is an action word here, not a passive approach. What are you willing to take on in order to become a person that loves? Are you willing to take on the emotional debt of other people? Are you willing to take those things on? Are you willing to love them in spite of their brokenness and through that? Are you willing to do the hard work that it takes to genuinely love people? See, I can't answer that because your situation is different than mine. Your life is different than mine. But I think a lot of times we get to a place, especially more mature Christians, that we say, I, I've already done that, Jeff. I've already done my part. I've already served. I've already, and I'm, I'm here to tell you today, unfortunately, that's not how God created and set things up. He looks at us and he says, not you got to do, 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 but you still got to become more like me. And we become more like him when we serve others. So it's not about what you're doing. It's not about do one more thing. It's about becoming more like Jesus. Because I want to be more like Jesus every day, which means I got to love people more if I'm going to be like him. And that's hard. And it's going to look different for you than it does for me. But only you can answer the question is, what does that look like for you today and tomorrow and next week? Maybe it's serving in another area in the church, or maybe it's serving at Transform Burian. Maybe it's showing up early for pre-service prayer once a month and not praying about you, but praying about those who are going to come in. 
What is it for you? I don't know, but you have to decide that, not me. Because we are called to be a people who love. And we're going to create an environment of love, and it's going to take time, and we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to have to reset, and we're going to have to back up, and we're going to continue to do that over and over and over again because it's who we are called to be. I'm not saying everybody has to, but I'm saying us as a congregation, as we move in, as we look forward to what is our vision. I did a whole series on anticipating change because I know change is coming. I don't know what that means, but I know it's coming. And some people have already said, well, I don't like it. What are you changing? I don't know. I just know it's coming. And now I feel like God's telling us this. Our next series is going to be a series on healing. Because I know that we've got people that are sick, that are in our congregation. And that's what God has really pressed me towards next. Then we're going to do a series on Advent, and then we're going to get into January and do a series on who am I in Christ? Because beyond being a new creation, I'm so much more. And so I just feel like God is taking us down this road, and so we've kind of, you know what we're going to hear on through January, so decide if you want to keep coming along. Think of it this way. Every week is one more bus stop. You can either get on or get off, and you're okay. I'm going to love you either way. But I want you to join me on the journey because the journey is what's shaping us and helping us become who God created us to be. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Help us as we become a people who create an environment of love. Help us as we become a people who reflects you more and looks less about ourselves. Help us become a people who reach forward to what lies ahead and are not stuck in the past or bound by what was. But we become and we are shaped and we are becoming and we are being molded into people that are more like you. Thank you, God. In your name, amen. Sign up to help with Trunk or Treat if you're available. Whatever. I mean, we have all kinds of areas that we would love to have your help. And uh, even if you go, oh, I can't be there that night, bake cupcakes for our cakewalk or cookies. Do something to help participate. Thanks. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.